You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey friend, just a little side note. This might be a little not safe for work. I'm going to be talking a lot about scrotums. But you know what? If you got headphones, I'll just plug in those bad boys and listen at work. I won't tell nobody. Be bold. You only live once. Tan tan tanuki no kin tamawa kaze mo nai no ni bura bura, which in English means tan tan tanuki's balls. Even if the wind isn't blowing, they swing, swing. Welcome back, friend. How's it going? How are you? As always, this is TK, and you are listening to episode 11 of For the Love of History. I hope you've had a good week. I know I have had a very interesting week. Believe me when I say uh, I have had not safe for work animal scrotum come across my computer screen more times than I like to recall this week. All because you chose the fabulous Tanuki for this week's episode topic. But scrotum avalanche aside, I am glad you chose this topic. I have walked around many a city in Japan and come across these little round-eyed, betestacled creatures so many times and had no idea why they were there or what they were doing, what purpose did they serve, what was the reason for their existence. And now I know, and I want to tell you all about it. So get yourself comfy and cozy, and let's get started. First of all, what in the heck is a tanuki? Well, it's not a raccoon. It's not a fox. It is a kind of canine animal. In fact, it is a real-life animal that inspired the creation of the tanuki legends. So basically, there's real-life tanuki, and then there's something called yokai tanuki. And yokai just means any mystical, magical creature in Japanese. There are many sides to the tanuki, and we're going to break it into three different parts. Part one, the god. Part two, the trickster slash helper, good guy, nice little animal. And number three, the modern tanuki. So we'll get started with the god tanuki. So little did I know before researching the tanuki is that I, in fact, live on what was once known as the kingdom of tanuki. I live on the island of Shikoku. And when I say island, I don't mean like little tiny island. It's a, it's a big island because Japan is an archipelago. And, you know, it's got a bunch of islands, and so this is a very big island. But anyways, so I live on Shikoku, and apparently back in the Dizay, Shikoku was known as the Kingdom of Tanuki. In most places in Japan, the Tanuki is no longer considered a god, but in Shikoku, it's different because of a monk named Kobodaishi, sometimes called Kukai. And this guy, Kukai, chased away all the kitsune, or the fox yokai, and said, you know, because the tanuki were so good, and they were great, and wonderful, and goodly, that they could stay and live peacefully in Shikoku. So because of this, in some places, 
on Shikoku, the Tanuki are still worshipped as gods. There's many shrines and temples dedicated to the Tanuki. And in fact, if you watched my Instagram story, you would have seen me venturing out into the wilderness and going to one of those said shrines. So, Tanuki were first mentioned in what is called the Nihon Shoki, which is like the OG history book of Japan, and it was written in the Nara period, which is in 720 CE. It was also written about in the Nihon Yoiki, which contains all of the original mythology in Japan. And that was written in around 780 CE. And then later on, the Tanuki would be written about in the Shui Monogatari, which was written in the 13th century. And now I would like to read to you the first ever line written about Tanuki. And it was in the Nihon Shoki, and it was in a chapter about the Empress Suiko. And it says, In the two months of spring, there are Tanuki in the country of Mutsu. They turn into humans and sing songs. Pretty casual mention, right? But later on in the Heian period, Tanuki stories would explode. Hundreds of stories of these godlike tanuki, both good and mischievous, were written during this time. And this would be the first of two tanuki mythology explosions. In this first tanuki explosion, the tanuki were written about in a reverent sort of way, meaning they were worshipped in their own right as gods of nature and not just like messengers. Many of these stories would explain how these tanuki became gods or what they did as gods. There's one story that I particularly enjoyed that explains how one tanuki came to be worshipped as a god and the protector of an important clan. This is the story of Yashima no Tasaburo Tanuki, which means the Tanuki of Yashima Island. In the Heian period, there was this general, and his name was Taira no Shigemori. And he was walking through the forest one day when he came across a Tanuki named Tasaburo. And Tasaburo had an arrow in him somewhere, and he was injured. He was an injured tanuki. So Taira saved him, and the tanuki then swore that he and his children and their children would protect the Taira clan forever. Tasaburo did a bunch of stuff to protect the clan, but eventually the clan fell. So what Tasaburo did was plead to the god of Yashima Temple, Side note, this god had 11 faces and 1,000 arms and is known as Kanon, the goddess of mercy. And I will show a picture of her on, on the Instagram because she's pretty cool looking. But anyways, Tasaburo followed the instructions of Konan and prayed for the clan at Yashimaji Temple. And people heard about this and they began worshipping the Tanuki as a god because he just did such a great job protecting the Taira clan. And this temple is still around. I'll put a picture up on the Instagram and there's just Tanuki everywhere. And people go there to pray to Tasaburo and other Tanuki and give thanks. 
And you can go there specifically for the purposes of finding good love matches, for love in general, happy marriages, the entertainment business, and bringing good fortune to children. But Tasaburo's encounter with the divine did not stop there. He met a lot of monks that were on pilgrimages. Uh, Shikoku, the island of Shikoku, is really famous for something called the Ohenro. And it's like a, a pilgrimage, but that's besides the point. So anyways, he met these monks that were on pilgrimages, and they were on these pilgrimages for different purposes, and oftentimes it was because of education, educational purposes. Tasaburo was really moved by their desire to be educated. So he founded, um, the in, in the legend, according to the legend, Tasaburo founded a Tanuki University in Yashima to increase the education and virtue of the Tanuki. Which can you imagine a bunch of these cute ass little raccoon dog looking things in, <laughs> in like a university classroom setting with like a little professor and then oh my god their graduation caps and gowns. I'm dying. It's so cute. It's so cute to think about. But that's besides the point. It's a legend. It's not real. It's not real, TK. So besides this temple, all around Shikoku and other areas, you can find these specific shrines dedicated to Tanuki. But unfortunately, with the spread of Buddhism, the Tanuki's power was kind of stripped away and it was no longer considered a deity in most parts of Japan and is still not really considered a deity in most parts of Japan. And really by the Edo period, which is from 1603 to 1868, the Tanuki was no longer considered a god and it took on a whole new personality. So if you are a for the love of history, ride or die, and you have been here since episode one of the turkey god, you will remember how the turkey was quietly placed on the shelf of history, and we don't really talk about it after being such an important religious figure in the Aztec culture, right? You remember this, right? You took notes? Well, this did not happen to the tanuki. Oh, no, no. The tanuki would not be placed upon the history shelf to be forgotten forever, it went through a transformation, a trickster transformation, if you will. In Heian period mythology, the Tanuki was always a little mischievous, but there was a huge second mythology surge in the Edo period that would transform the Tanuki from a god to a trickster. So the Heian period was just an explosion of literature and art and fabulous finery in general. So that's why the Tanuki mythology kind of exploded. That's like the origin of mythology in the Heian period. But in the Edo period, something a little bit different happened. There was a battle between religious sects. The running theory of why there was a resurgence of Tanuki mythology literature is that the Orthodox religion, Orthodox Buddhist religion, was trying to stay relevant and use the yokai, yokai being the, you know, mythological, <laughs> mythological, mythological, 
creatures in Japan as well as local gods to draw people in. They were creating mythology to draw people in to the Orthodox religion. That is the running theory. So this is where the story gets real interesting and real cool for the Tanuki. The Tanuki has four special superpowers. Number one is shape-shifting. Number two is illusion. Number three is making a bunch of crazy noises. And number four is scrotum bending. I don't know if you're familiar with Avatar The Last Airbender, but what Aang did with water is what the Tanuki does with his scrotum. He basically can manipulate it in any way he wants to, but more on that later. Let's talk about shape-shifting first. Tanuki loved turning into humans, especially monks and political figures, and they would do a bunch of stuff explicitly for the purpose of just screwing around with humans and just being tricksters. Their favorite thing to do was to make people get lost in different areas. And they would do this with their shape-shifting and also their ability to create illusions. They would make people get lost with their illusions and they would also trick people out of their money or just make them do really, really ridiculous things. They could create all kinds of illusions like making leaves look like money so what they would do is they would make the leaf look like money they would pay the person that they were buying the thing from and then after the tanuki left with the goods the money would turn back into leaves and the shop owner or what have you would be left with no money and no items to sell they were ridiculously good at illusions and really detailed, weird illusions. Crazy stuff. For example, there's one legend of a tanuki who tricks a man into thinking he's watching a tanuki transform into a shamisen player. Shamisen is a Japanese uh, traditional instrument. The man thinks he just watched a tanuki turn into a shamisen player. He thinks he knows what's going on. He's got it all figured out. He knows the shamisen player's identity is actually a tanuki. And he plans to reveal it to the crowd that has gathered. And just as he is about to expose the secret incognito tanuki, the man realizes he's actually looking at a horse's That's so crazy. There are layers to this illusion. Very amazing layers, and I love it. And I'm all for the tanuki illusions. But in addition to horses' asses, tanuki would make people believe that they were in different situations or walking different paths, or they would just change the landscape in general. And they could also turn themselves into teapots or beautiful women or monks or balls of fire or governors or teacups. And money and all other sorts of stuff. Really, anything that their little tanuki heart desired, they could create or they could change into. And now the time has come, my friends. We must discuss scrotums. So what is the deal with a big old tanuki scrotum? What's going on? What's happening? So it's not sexual at all in any way. Not sexual. The origin of the big old 
Tanuki scrotum is as follows. Kanazawa is a city in Japan that's very famous for making gold leaf. And in order to make gold leaf, you need something soft and stretchable to put between the gold and the hammer that you're using. So, somehow, somebody figured out that the real life Tanuki's scrotum was really soft and really stretchy. Apparently, it could stretch to be the size of eight tatami mats, which is really, really big. That's like the size of a, a large, large bedroom. I don't know who discovered this, but it worked. And the goldsmiths of Kanazawa made beautiful gold leaf using tanuki scrotum. Here's where the second layer of scrotum imagery <laughs> comes from. So how the Kanazawa gold leaf makers would make the gold leaf is they would put a gold nugget or a golden ball inside the tanuki scrotum and then from there they would hammer it out into a flat piece of gold leaf. So in Japanese, that gold ball is called kin no tama. Kin is gold and tama is ball or circle. So people began using Kintama as a colloquial word for testicles, for humans. Fun. <laughs> Golden balls equal testicles. There you go. There's your daily Japanese lesson for you. In addition to being used for making gold leaf, tanuki scrotum was also uh, used to make coin purses and wallets. And it was said that the tanuki scrotum coin purse would be able to stretch your money just like the ball sack of the tanuki could stretch, which is great. I love that. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, let's let's get back on track. Let's talk about the folklore, the tanuki legends. So this ball sack related imagery did not translate into the actual written folklore of the tanuki. That was relatively scrotum-free. But there's so much scrotum imagery in an art form that originated in the Edo period called yukioe, which is woodblock printing art. And I know if you have seen anything about Japan, you have seen one yukioe woodblock printing. That big giant wave that you see in a lot of Japanese-style imagery, that's... Oh, that was originally a Yukioe woodblock printing. So, all kinds of Tanuki Yukioe prints were made during the Edo period. And this is when I had the scrotum avalanche happen to me at work, <laughs> which was awesome. It was so fun. I had a little downtime, so I did some research at my desk. And let me tell you, the research was over quick. I was like, no, no, we cannot have this at work. <laughs> it was great. It was a good experience. The things I do for you, friend. Uh, but anyways, there is a ton of yukioe tanuki scrotum art. And you know I'm going to be posting it on the Instagram. So you can see tanuki art where they're flying with their scrotum, where they're attacking with their scrotum, beating a fish to death creating human heads, making boats, making entire stores, roofs over their heads, umbrellas, basically anything you can think of, they could turn their scrotum into it. It's like Play-Doh, it's crazy. So all of these powers, the shape-shifting, the illusion, the noise-making, the scrotum 
morphing abilities. They were all used in the pursuit of messing with people and getting money and drinking sake. So where is the tanuki now? What's he doing? What's he, what's he been up to? The tanuki would go through one more transformation into the modern tanuki. And this is the little guy I see all over the place that both creeps me out and makes me go, at the same time. This new tanuki was designed by a shigaraki potter named Tetsuzo Fujiwara in the early 1950s. So our modern tanuki is just a little baby in the grand scheme of Japanese history. Fujiwara created this version of the tanuki to suit modern times and adapt to popular culture. He created this new tanuki in a way that embodied the eight virtues. And I will describe them to you now. So number one, his big hat means protection against trouble. Number two, his big old soulless eyes mean perception for decisions. Number three, the sake bottle means virtue. Number four, the big tail means steadiness until wealth is attained. Number five, big old testicles equal financial luck. Remember Kintama, those golden balls? Number six is the promissory note. He's got like a little note um, wrapped up piece of paper next to him and that means trust. Number seven, his big belly equals bold decision-making. And number eight, his friendly smile means he's kind and wonderful. I personally think his smile's a little bit creepy, but I will let you make that decision yourself, friend. You can go see on the Instagram. It's, um, it's very interesting, <laughs> the way he looks. But moving on, Fujiwara had made the tanuki really popular in his area, uh, but it wasn't really nationally known until one little incident happened and the popularity of our little friend exploded. And this, dear friend, is going to be my final thought, the story of the modern tanuki and how he became so popular. In 1951, Emperor Hirohito was coming to Shigaraki, on an official visit. So, Mr. Fujiwara decided he was going to give the emperor a greeting he would never forget. Fujiwara created hundreds of his modern tanuki of all shapes and sizes and styles and lined them up on the bridge where the emperor would enter the city. There were hundreds of these chubby little babies all lined up holding little Japanese flags. The emperor loved it loved it, and he gave the tanuki his official seal of approval. Once the emperor approves something, you're good to go. You're famous for life. So now you can see our chubby little friends dishing out luck and prosperity all over Japan. And that's all she wrote, friend. I hope you enjoyed this little tale of the tanuki. So far in For the Love of History, we've talked about penises and scrotums, and if that is not high-quality content, I don't know what is. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Slide into my DMs, comment on a post on Instagram or what have you. I want to hear from you. 
I want to know what you're thinking. What's, what's on your mind about this podcast or any other podcast you've listened to in the past? Thank you again, and I will see you next week for our third installment of the Empress Baddie series. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>